One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're taking an in-depth look at markets. I'm Robert Miller. Well, we've seen wild gyrations where markets like the mighty Dow can turn a 500-point gain and turn it into a 400-point loss, well, all in the matter of minutes. China's every move is scrutinised and the FTSE in London, well, it's taken its fair share of pain too. I'm joined by Patrick Hosking, financial editor and columnist at the Times, Alex Ralph, our stock market reporter, and on the line from New York is Alexandra Freen, the US business editor of the Times. A warm welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Patrick, let's start with you. We talk about China as if it's the root cause of the market gyrations and fluctuations. Is that the case? And how did it come about? Well, certainly that's that's been the, the, the main narrative over the over the past few days. But people are beginning to wonder whether this may be just an, yet another form of uh, tapering tantrums. Do you remember last year when uh, markets were very nervous about the Fed withdrawing QE, the uh, money, the stimulus plan there? And it does seem quite... Um, a coincidence that the moment that um, William Dudley of the Fed, do you remember, on on Wednesday said that uh, the case for an interest rate rise was slightly less compelling, immediately Wall Street charges 600 points higher. So I think there is a lot of nervousness in markets, uh, not about, not just about China, but about uh, the first rise in US interest rates for nine years. And certainly some Chinese officials are saying this is nothing to do with us, or this is not just to do with us. It's the fact that until very recently, everyone was gearing up for the first US Fed hike in, uh, in September, which of course, now may not happen. Do you think then, that you, you alluded to the fact that the Dow, particularly, and, and the Standard and Poor's in Wall Street, they had a big sell-off and it was taper tantrums. In other words, if we go on selling stock long enough and hard enough, then in this case, the Chinese authorities will be forced to intervene and that's what they want. Is, is that a taper tantrum? I'm I not sure it's about that. I think the more that uh, the Chinese authorities have intervened, the less sorry, certainly intervened in the stock market, the less confident people have got because it seems so uh, such a, uh, certainly an un-Western capitalist thing to do, to intervene, to, to prop up share prices. So I think people are very nervous about that because although they did it by sort of banning short selling and uh, encouraging state enterprises to buy shares, it didn't really work. And of course it leaves people with this, this residual doubt that uh, at the moment the, uh, the prop is taken away, then we'll have another skid downwards. Let's bring in Alexandra Freen in New York. Alex, is this in some cases seen as a standoff between America and China and China saying, well, we, as Patrick mentioned there, it's not our problem. You should be doing something about it. If, if that's the case, what happens next? Well, I, d- I don't think we've got to that point where it's a standoff yet. And But I do think that's what happened. What's happened is that 
everything's got a little bit out of proportion. I think China was really the straw that broke the camel's back. We had an overpriced and perhaps slightly complacent market. And what's happened is that this has given everybody a, bit, a big shock. We need to remember that China is important for the world economy. But in the US, you know, which has its own big manufacturing base, it's not everything. Not everything in the US depends on China. And I think people have forgotten that a little bit. China accounts for 7.6% of US exports. So that's a big number, but it, it's not huge. And the, the people that are most worried are the very China-centric US companies, people like Apple, which rely on China for 23% of their revenues. But for the rest of the US economy, the exposure is, is perhaps less than most people would imagine after the sort of complete fear that we've seen in the last week or so. I, I agree with Alex. I mean, there has been, it, it is slightly overdone in some ways. I mean, Britain exports more to the, uh, the Benelux countries than it does to China. But uh, if we had a sudden slowdown in Belgium, I don't believe everyone would be throwing their toys out of the pram in, in quite the way they have. The other thing I think is very interesting is the timing of all this, which is uh, August. And we've seen so many market blow-ups in August because the boss is away. And when the boss is away, there's no one to press the button and say, oh, shares look rather good value. Alex Ralph, our stock market reporter, let me bring you in here. Of course, the FTSE 100, people often talk about it in particular as being very internationally exposed. 75% or something of revenues come from abroad. Is China a serious problem to these companies? Or again, as Alex as, and Patrick have alluded to, it's slightly overdone here. Yeah, I think the, the, the FTSE 100's biggest problem at the moment is that it's heavily weighted towards the, um, the global miners. Um, there's a number of them listed on the FTSE 100, I think, making up a, a big proportion. And Obviously, they, those companies track commodity prices, and when um, when China's down, they down, and then the miners are down, which means the FTSE's down. So it's um, they track one another like that. Are we in in the territory yet where, when the f- uh, Financial Times stock exchange, as it used to be, the index committee sits, that some of these miners might be close to being dropped out? In fact, into the two fifties. Is there a case of a rebalancing? Do you think going to happen with with the miners in the FTSE one hundred? Well, the quarter review is um, is next week after the bank holiday. But these are still massive, massive companies, and even though they've been taking an absolute smashing on the markets i'd be surprised if they were at the bottom of that index but um perhaps it'll be interesting to see when the when the waitings are all done next week where they are left patrick so many people have their ices their pensions we're all slashed to the footsie all share what should people be doing at the moment amidst this term i'm sitting there with an isa or a pension what do they do? Uh, well, I, I think the, the advice to switch off your screen and go and go and play golf is a pretty pretty good idea. Actually, just don't worry about it because uh, whatever's happening today will be long forgotten about uh, in ten years' time. But I, I, it is a bit of a cop out to say, well, which which we journalists tend to do is sit on the sidelines and do nothing. I mean, there is a case for for buying now if you if you if you believe what I'm saying because however badly you might do you won't be doing as badly as you did in uh, in uh, April when the uh, when the FTSE was at 7100 and everyone was saying well uh, uh, you know things are looking pretty hunky dory and the view from Wall Street Alex Freen I think a lot of people um, are now saying certainly don't panic uh, this is a buying opportunity I mean that's 
it's not necessarily going to last, but that's what people are saying right now. You've only got to look at, you know, what markets, um, as Patrick mentioned, did after William Dudley said, oh, we're going to put off our raising interest rates. Um, so for now, I think that's very much the feeling over here. But I, I wouldn't say that will necessarily last. People are, are very jumpy. Do you think that, Alex, that the US Federal Reserve actually got caught out that by not moving the rates beforehand, they've now pretty much got to concede the fact that they've still got to sit on their hands. It must be very frustrating, isn't it, when they want to try and return monetary policy to, to its normal trend, to its normal rate? Well, this is something that, that I've said before, that there was always a danger that they would get trapped if they missed the window for acting. Um, maybe earlier this year, there's a danger of getting trapped. I don't think we can assume that they're not going to raise interest rates later this year. We, I don't think we can even assume they're not going to raise interest rates next month. That's still a possibility, although one that's receding. And I think that, um, you know, we, we, we've just... Um, got to see how this plays out, how market instability plays out over the next next few weeks. And the main concern for the Fed is going to be what is the risk appetite in the market? I mean, it's clear that the, the fundamentals of the U.S. economy are okay. They're not brilliant, but, you know, we, we keep getting numbers that are fairly positive. And um, on Friday, or August 28th, that's going to be the key number we want to look at, and that's the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Index. And the reason that's interesting is that um, that's going to be really the first data point we get that takes account of this period of, of huge market instability that we've seen. They, they collect the information for that survey right up until just before they publish it. So it'll take in um, the, the wild swings we've seen in the market. And that will give us a really good sense of the wealth effect, what people perceive um, their, their general economic health to be um, in the light of this current current crisis. So I think I think the Fed will be looking at that before they do anything else. Is it any different for the Bank of England, Patrick, the sort of data and, and the mood that Alex is talking about over there on Wall Street? Is it the same for Threadneedle Street and the Monetary Policy Committee? Um, it's it's very similar, although the, the, the Bank of England has a, has a slightly narrower mandate. It's purely meant to be looking at uh, inflation two years out and keeping inflation as close to, to 2% as it can. And of course, because of this, uh, the, the, the slide in commodity prices and particularly the oil price that uh, Alex was just uh, referring to, um, you know, inflation this autumn is almost... So, well, pro- almost certainly going to turn negative again, which makes it quite difficult for policymakers to say, uh, oh, we've got to whack up interest rates. Alex, Ralph, we're talking about almost the macro picture here, but you talk to dealers and traders every day at their desks. Is this of concern to them or are there other pressing matters that they look about when they're buying and selling shares on an everyday basis? Monday was an interesting day. They were genuinely shocked about the, the the huge moves that they were seeing, and you know they were they were sort of drawing comparisons with two thousand and eight. I mean, one stockbroker I spoke to said he'd never seen anything like it before, and he's in his fifties. So that gave you a sense of. So there was a real sense of panic then. There was panic something as opposed to just. I think fear. There was a, a fear. They had you know just because of the, the, the huge moves that they were seeing, uh, not just in London but all over the world. And from one day to the next, it's it's up, up, down, it's up, down. It's just, you know, it's difficult to preempt where, where on earth it's heading at the moment. 
we've talked about volumes, but certainly on Wall Street, where people say there's actually thin volumes, that they've been trading twice the number of shares that they normally do at this time. I mean, at one stage, you were talking to of a, a, a panic on Monday, there was 14 billion shares as opposed to 7 billion shares changing hands. So there is a real sense there. So if that's the fear, when will the greed kick in, do you think? And what will take, what will it take to bring people back to the market? Well, I think we've already seen the other side of it, which is that some hedge funds have been betting, increasing their bets for the last 18 months that the market was due a fall, was due a correction. And um, so some of those funds that were, were, were betting the FTSE 100 was going was gonna to come off would have done very nicely out of um, what happened on Monday. So there's always greed, whatever the situation. Do you think we're going to see, Alex Freen in New York, any intervention by the authorities over there, in particular the US Federal Reserves? Like someone was suggesting that maybe they needed to kickstart quantitative easing again, having just started getting out of it. Is, is there any danger of that or any chance of that happening? No, no, absolutely not. There's no way that the Fed would do that again. I mean, the only intervention that um, you might see is some technical intervention on the markets, which which would just be to keep a check on volatility. But I think it's unthinkable that the Fed would restart um, any stimulus action. That's interesting because the the European Central Bank definitely has a different view. We had... uh, Peter Prate uh, just uh, last week uh, saying that um, he's the US chief. He's, he's the, the chief, chief economist yes. of the ECB uh, and sits on the policy making panel. Uh, was saying that they might exa- do exactly that. They could uh, increase. Uh, QE, which is running at 60 billion euros a month already, if uh, commodity prices kept falling and it and it risked uh, risked risk them missing their inflation target. Two totally different landscapes, aren't they? It's the sort of eurozone still very much in need of stimulus, and America. Is the American economy, either you, Patrick, first, is the American economy on a far more stable footing now to recovery than, say, either Britain or the Eurozone? Well, it certainly feels like it, but it, it always does seem to, adv- uh, you know, push ahead long before Europe, long before Europe or Britain or, or the rest of the world. It's been the, the saviour of the global economy so many times, but it, it's, uh, it's, well, it's what nineteen percent of world GDP. It can't do it. It can't do it by itself. It needs very hard for the U.S. economy, even though it's so domestically focused, to to pull away from the rest of the world. If if indeed Europe and and China continue to to be so sluggish, or indeed uh, shrink in, in in terms of GDP. Alex. Yes, I, I I mean I agree with that. But uh, but the point that Patrick makes is that the U.S. economy is. Uh, to a much larger degree than uh, any of the major European economies insulated from what goes on in the rest of the world. Of course, it's dependent on on international sales and exports and imports, but it does consume a lot more of the stuff that it produces itself. So that gives it a really big cushion. Alex Ralph, what do you think it will take to bring the market traders back to looking at fundamentals again? Do you think that when everyone's back at their desk, we will see a much better examination and perhaps fewer alarms and scares in the market, or are we doomed to more of the same? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, just before we arrived this, this afternoon, one stop break was saying that he spoke to a fund manager today and um, he said to his, his team, don't do anything. Just sit on the sidelines. Let's wait until after the bank holiday and, and, and then come back in, because a lot of people are still aware at the moment, which is in part why we're seeing such volatility. But I think there's, it's fair to say that People are waiting until September to have a better look at what's going on. Alex, I just have to ask you, someone mentioned to me about chicken feet exports to China. What's that about? 
Well, I, I, I'm interested in chicken feet because I just think they're such an extraordinary thing. It's a big delicacy in China. And the, the reason why it's interesting right now, it, it's a, it has traditionally been a massive um, export market for the U.S. Earlier this year, though, America lost all of that market to Brazil because there was a bird flu epidemic in America and China banned exports of American uh, chicken feet to to the Chinese mainland. And all the the reason I think it's, it's interesting is it just shows that, you know, America can lose a big chunk of its export market to China and still survive. So it's a very, very robust economy. Well, I'm sure not a lot of people know that. Well, they didn't, but they do now. Thanks for that, Alex. And that's about it for now. But remember, you can keep up to date with all the financial news. That's on our pop-up Business Now live blog. That's at the website. And if you don't have a subscription, there's a special £1 offer, and you'll find that at thetimes.co.uk. On the other hand, if you are already a Times subscription, well, sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. It'll give you everything you need to know. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Alexandra Freen, Patrick Hosking and Alex Ralph. They're all on Twitter, so do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.